0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of PQA Panel Talks. I'm your host, Mike Urchuk, and today we're gonna talk about metrics with our panel of testing experts. Um, There's lots of different conversations you've probably heard in the last few years about metrics, and, and so I wanted to focus a little bit in this conversation about how we can use metrics to convince management that we're doing a good job. So just a little shift on the focus. We're still going to talk about metrics, but I don't want this to be a talk where we list off our 25 favorite metrics and, and what good values in them are. So, so we'll, we'll still talk about that, but we're going to just shift the focus a little bit. And hopefully that will be interesting to everyone out there because I think it's a little bit different. Of course, uh, PQA has had a long history of metrics and we've had a lot of clients and uh, I've got a lot of firm opinions on metrics and how to use them. And so uh, you'll probably hear some of that as we keep going but more importantly we're here to hear from our experts so uh, without further ado uh, mr sean wilson please introduce yourself hi
1: mike so my name is sean wilson i'm the worldwide uh, qaqc development director for ubisoft Uh, my focus is on how to bring technology uh, really into the testing and game development process to make games more testable and then do the testing of them Uh, so super interesting space for me My background is in sort of mainstream software, where I met Mike years ago. Uh, I've been working in that space since uh, late 1998, and I really think metrics and data collection in general are are such an important thing for us, a tool to help us understand where we are and where we're going.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Sean. And uh, John, tell us who you are.
2: Thanks, Mike. Um, So those who are tuned in for some of our previous episodes are well aware who I am, but for those that are coming to us for the first time. Jonathan Duncan, been around for about 25 years in the space and played on the dev side and uh, now on the testing side. And with all the things that are going on at PQA, really need um, the information that can come from metrics to uh, try to help understand where the status of different projects are across the country. So happy to be here and look forward to hearing some of Sean's thoughts um, and some of the questions we've got online for today.
0: So uh, let's, let's jump right in, but let's jump right in with a, a leveling question, as we often do. So metrics, KPIs, KRIs, what are all these things? How are they different? Let's start with you, Sean, because I know you've got a pretty good solid definition.
1: Yeah, I, I have this part of the conversation quite a lot. Um, I see people who, who throw something up and say, metrics are the solution, and then don't really know what they're talking about. A metric is any standard measurement. Right. It's it's a, an agreed upon way of measuring something. Agreed upon is the key there. We all have to agree that this thing, this piece of data is is a way that we are going to measure something. Effectively, what we're saying in software then is that a it's a data point where everyone who's using it agrees what it is and what it tells you.
0: All right. How's that different from a KPI?
1: So a KPI is by definition, a key performance indicator. This is a threshold value. When you have a series of data points, metrics, you now have something, a KPI gives you a specific metric value upon which you can flag something. So we want to have 10,000 listeners in the first two weeks of distribution. Cool, That that's now some sort of threshold. The metric is the number of listeners we have over a period of time.
0: Does that differentiate well? Um, I think it does. Um, I I think that, that the terms have morphed, though. I think that people are using KPI interchangeably for metric almost sometimes.
1: I, I agree. Um, and I do my best to sort of help differentiate where I can, just because when I take a look at a collection of data, and, and I see this a lot in, in my industry, we get data points on thousands of things. And with, with as much work as we're doing in, in automation and using sort of tools to help us understand where we are, we see these data points just across the board. The the KPI though is still really important to differentiate to say this is the threshold. You know, I know I'm in a good space if this thing, or I know I'm in a bad space if this thing, and that would be closer to a KRI really. But having that uh, differentiation between just random data points um, and some sort of key specific place that I wanna stop and look at and say, this thing tells me something.
0: Okay. Um, so, John, we'll get to KRIs in just a second, but John, anything to add or, or disagree or whatever with what Sean said so far? No, I'm not,
2: I'm not going to disagree with any of that um, whatsoever. I, I do want to highlight um, the piece that Sean brought up around making sure that they're standard and making sure that they're standard early. That's really critical to being able to metrics and historical views don't really provide a whole lot of value if we keep changing them over time because the flavor of the day has changed. And I know we'll we'll talk about a bit more around sort of my thoughts as to how that should work if you don't pick the right ones off to start. But uh, I, I really just wanted to highlight I think that's a great point, Sean.
1: Yeah, if, if I can just jump on it. I, I saw this actually very recently between two different game projects and both of them were counting. They had a metric for uh, defects found by customers in production. And it, they sound exactly that they were labeled exactly the same thing, but they meant different things. Uh, to one game team, they were talking about defects of a certain type of severity that caused a crash or or a major problem for a customer. And the other one was just talking about any defect that was found by any customer in production on the current release or previous releases. So the answers that we got back were completely different, even though we were looking at something called the same thing. And that that specificity that you were just talking about, John, I think is is really important for us to make sure that we have when we collect metrics.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, if if you were in the wrong context and you were thinking about the ones that crashed, but you had the numbers for any bug, that would be terrifying. Yes,
1: yes, that's exactly what happened.
0: (laughs) So I'm going to counter question, counterpoint maybe. So one way of thinking about it is slightly different in that metrics is just a collection of data points that you're capturing. And and the way you've said KPI, it's it's a level within those data points that is important. And and maybe uh, what I'm going to say isn't so different from that. But maybe a KPI is taking your set of metrics that you're gathering data for, and saying yes, but the key performance indicators, the key metrics are these five. And those are the ones that we're gonna track really well. So maybe you're collecting data for 20 and really you can't focus on 20 anyways. That's, that's maybe a different talk, but I tell my people that uh, don't tell any client they should be uh, tracking more than five data metrics because it's too many and you can't focus. And maybe the KPI is actually delineating down from what you're actually collecting data for to the ones that you can actually track. Does that follow in any way?
1: I think that's better. um, But I I don't think it goes far enough. And I'll explain why. So I think we should collect lots of metrics, uh, even metrics that we won't use or we don't know how to use today. Um, Collecting those data points are are incredibly important because, again, we don't know what data we'll, we'll find value in tomorrow. So having that data set can be super useful for us to be able to grow from and extend things that are important. And it sounds like what you did there is you said, hey, uh, yeah, we're collecting all the data, cool. But we're only really going to pay attention to to a particular set that we really understand and that we we all agree on are the same thing, and we know what they are. And and I think that can be a super useful. One. I, I think you're you're in the right direction. But for me, the thing that differentiates uh, a KPI from any other type of metric is that it's something that gives us a predictability. So in my mind, it's, it's reframing the way that we talk about a KPI. Instead of just saying it's a, it's a thing or a threshold, I could say, think of a KPI as a place where you can say, if this specific thing in this sort of specific time frame or whatever, then we're on track to this. Based on some number, some metric uh, data point that I see, I can predict the future. If I have this many bugs by beta, I'm on track to have a bad release or, or a great release. Um, but, but it's that sort of predictability in the number and that that threshold at which I can make that prediction, that that for me is the core of a KPI
0: um, or a KRI in reverse. Yeah, I think that makes sense to me. Uh, John, anything to say there?
2: Yeah, just to, to add on, right? So I really agree with both of you. I think the right we can't buy back time, right? So if I don't collect the data, then I'll never really be able to reproduce it at the instant. But I think some of what you're really getting to Mike was around the, I don't want to overload somebody with information. So I I like to have metrics that pulled up to a level that the audience that cares about them um, is actually seeing what they care about and then have all that backup data. Should they say, okay, well, wait a second. Maybe we need to drill into this particular problem um, or maybe we need to start reporting on this. And then that way I at least have it um, and I can maybe see trends over time to be able to figure it out, but if I don't capture it, then I can never go back and try to understand what happens that I can do better at, as Sean says, predicting what the end state's going to be. Now, all that said, right, we're here as um, testers. We don't want our testers spending most of their time collecting data, right? So I think a bunch of it is around finding data that we can easily collect and easily collate um, to get to answers.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I really like the idea of of collect all the data you can, do that early, do that often, so that when you do finally figure out what your key uh, metrics are, that are good. But you have to have balance. You can't spend all of your time doing that, especially if there's any manual steps involved. Like, that's just not very successful, I don't think. Okay, so so you said something there, John, that I'm going to come back to in a couple of minutes, and that's about an audience that cares about metrics, because I think that comes back to the the core goal of, of what we're talking about today but I don't want to drift too far from KRIs and defining before we get there. I'm actually relatively new to using the term KRI. And and Sean, you just, uh, you defined it for us a second ago, Um, key uh, risk indicator, but maybe tell us a bit more what you think one is and how to use it.
1: So I'm also new to using the term. Um, I've always just thought of a key performance indicator as that threshold and it's either positive or negative. And I think that that's uh, super common key risk indicator it is different. It's, it's not quite a key performance indicator in reverse. And I think, I don't know the origin. My guess is that it's more of a hearkening back to sort of a traditional project management, uh, having a risk matrix and being able to identify the point at which a risk should be triggered. And that sort of key risk indicator um, is now your data point, your metric, uh, and your threshold for as soon as I achieve this threshold at this data point, my risk has been triggered, or I can predict that my risk will become triggered immediately. I think that's probably a bit more of the complexity around it from a simplicity standpoint. Key performance indicators predict good things and key risk indicators predict a potential failure or problems that could lead to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I kind of look at it as it, it's a subset of your KPIs. And, and as if you hold with the definition of a KPI or the use of a KPI is a, a limit or a goal, that you have to track against, then a KRI is simply one that, that tracks against. This is this is a risk that we're tracking, and here's a metric that helps us track that risk. John, any uh, thoughts about it?
2: No, just uh, something John said about the origins, and sort of having done that PM, hey, here's all my risks, I think creating a key risk indicator takes some of the human emotion pieces out of it right whereas i may see something and just have this awkward feeling in my belly that oh this is scary and right but putting numbers around it tries to eliminate some of that which i think gets rid of some of the noise for steering committees and stakeholders are looking at things because they now know that it's something that's or whether they know or they at least have the perception that it's based on something factual as opposed to just how i feel
0: well sure and and that really ties back to the idea that testers should define their entrance and exit criteria before they start the project. Because once you're in the weeds and you're emotional and you care, it's harder to have that, that step back view and, and uh, unemotional and, and pick and make sure you understand. So everything needs to evolve and everything needs to have new interpretations. But you shouldn't be doing that just in the, in the height of emotion, right? In the moment, you should be doing it when clear thoughts prevailed. Uh, any follow-up there, Sean?
1: It, actually, I got to tell you, um, I, I will take that definition, John, and run with it. I, I think kind of the background of that, the idea that you can use this phrase, key risk indicator, as a way of easing the conversation, not to say, hey, in my professional experience and, and with everything I've done, this is this is looking bad, right? But to actually drop some numbers on that, call it a key risk indicator and have something that we agree uh, collectively, because it's a metric, we have to agree on it, um, this thing tells us that. That's a great way to get stakeholder engagement and, and remove the emotion. From it. That emotion is super, super high on different teams and in different projects. So I think that's a great way to to frame it. And I, I will completely use that tomorrow. Uh, I like
0: it. Awesome. It's good to know that our podcast is helping at least one person. So what if they are a person in it? Yeah, it's all good. All right, well, let's, let's move on a little bit. Metrics are for a whole bunch of people and, and there's probably multiple consumer groups of metrics. Often the way that that conference talks about metrics and talks that I hear about metrics focus on how the team knows what's going on. And, and today, as I said, we're going to try and pull back a little bit from that because as cool as that is, I think that most teams would just never look at metrics if it wasn't for the fact that there were sponsors or stakeholders or whatever who needed to know what's going on with their project. So maybe let's just discuss that dichotomy, that difference a little bit. Like who are metrics for? I'll start with you this time, John.
2: They're ultimately for everybody, right? Like everybody wants, especially in this day and age, everybody wants data to help them understand. So I know in the development world, when I was writing code, right, it wasn't really a thing, but I did pay attention to, okay, well how many bugs got created in that module? Um, that I created, right? As I started to manage development projects, I cared less about, I still needed the information about specific bugs in specific areas to see if there was some root cause that happened, but I cared more about it from an end to end perspective, right? So I wanted higher level and I didn't wanna have to dig through lines upon lines and pages of just raw data. I wanted something higher level, right? So it really is around who's the audience and what is it that I care about? Right. What's my what's my end goal? Right, a PM may care. Guaranteed, they're going to care about timeline and budget. Right, so they're going to want burn down type things, both from a timeline and a budget perspective. Whereas the developer or the tester on the project may want to understand more about what is the actual quality of the code that I'm creating or the code that I'm testing. So it really does depend.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that, and I think different people will have different needs in terms of data. Um, In addition, different people, even at the same job level, uh, look at data differently. So they have different requirements and how to consume metrics. But we can get to that, I think. An example, I think, where teams are starting to see metrics used more often is, I think, to what John just said, something like a burndown. And yes, your project manager wants your burndown in terms of the entire project and where we're going. But your team, if they're doing uh, any sort of agile methodology, particularly Scrum, are looking at their sort of... You know, iteration or their sprint burn down. Are, are we getting close? How do we know we're on track? How do we know we're not on track? That, that kind of thing is a metric in and of itself. The, the aggregation of, of that team level metric up into sort of a more comprehensive view that can be looked at by a larger group, uh, by, you know, sort of the scrum masters and then the, the scrum of scrum masters, the, the project managers or the product owners who want to know when they're getting stuff done. Um. All of these things just aggregate up, but it starts at that, what the individual person is doing and what the individual teams are, are seeing. So I think the metrics, you can't uh, divorce the, the metric that the CEO needs to see from the metric that the team needs to be engaged with. One is very often built upon the other.
0: So as a tester, as a doer, often the the amount of overhead or even just the amount of discussion that they participate in with respect to metrics can feel annoying. But I think, I mean, we're talking about, we, we all agree on this call that they're important, but what message can we give back to a doer? So not not the stuff that is integral to, to their day-to-day, the metrics that they care about. What message can we give to them that says, you know these other metrics, the ones you don't care about as much about, but your CEO or your VP or whoever, does care about, this is why they're important and, and not not just a trite because they say so sort of thing, but but why, what what messaging do you think that we can use there? And let's start with you, Sean. Um,
1: so I, it depends on the level of the doer. I, I have got a couple of different strategies that I've found have been uh, fairly successful. Uh, when I'm talking to team leads, when I'm talking to sort of people who are managing small groups, uh, so not not big managers, but small managers. I, I talk about the value of metrics towards resource allocation. If I don't know that you're underwater, I can't help you by giving you more people to do the work. I have found that that makes those team leads incredibly incentivized to collect that information, to build processes around collecting the, uh, the information freely or cheaply. And, and that's something we should probably talk about too. Metrics aren't just about a manual person ticking a box or writing a thing. It should also be about building a process that collects them automatically where possible. Uh, when I'm talking to individual testers, very often I try and avoid big metrics because the concept of big metrics, I, I have seen uh, with individual developers and testers make them feel that they're being monitored. And the more they know about that metric, the more they attempt to gain the system. And I think this is, something that happens by human nature. Um, I know in my first testing job, uh, my manager evaluated me based on the number of bugs I found. As soon as I found that out, I found a lot of bugs. They weren't necessarily all the same severity, uh, but I found a lot of bugs because bug count was important. That was the metric that she was evaluating me by. And I I think there's a, a reason to, you know, maybe not talk too much about metrics that are needed way up the stream with, with everybody, or at least not make them the thing that we highlight. Well,
0: and I think an importance there is, is that a key performance indicator should not be about an individual's performance, because that's where you start getting game bad feelings. It should be a, it, it, exactly. a project performance uh, at some level, or, or you might have to think about testing as the pro the testing project, but it should still be at the project level because they're supposed to be health indicators, not person indicators.
1: Exactly. And I think this is where, I mean, we could have a, a long conversation on, you know, our metrics uh, used for good or evil. I, th- I think that's where you can use that data incorrectly if you really choose to. And you have to, con- you have to talk to your teams and convince them that when we are collecting this data, we are doing it for good purposes. And like I said, with the team leads, it's about if I don't know you're underwater, I can't help you. I can't get more resources. I can't advocate for them because I won't be able to connect sort of we can't get all of this work done with the people we have. And, hey, that's going to lead to us not getting this or being able to hit this uh, key performance indicator for success. And that's how I, I justify more resource
0: allocation. Uh, anything uh, from your side, John? No, just
2: as you guys were chatting there, it started to make me think about, okay, well, how do we build teams that can get better velocities, right? And I think right? Highlighting my deficiencies in front of an entire team doesn't help anybody at the end of the day. Whereas reflecting overall team goals to the team helps them truly work together to reach and attain one common goal. And then my individual metrics are there for my manager to say, okay, hey, John, it looks like you're having problems getting through this. Is there something going on? Is there something I can help with? Do you need more help with data entry on a particular case to get through certain tests? Um, so I think that they can be there for individual assistance, but it's the team it's the team type metrics and the project metrics that are important to sort of motivate that team um, to hit the finish line um, that you need to hit
1: and I think if I can jump on it, sorry Mike mm-hmm. you have to be able to tell the team that the The team metric is the one that's most important, not your individual metric. I I can't tell you the number of times I've worked with scrum teams, developers and testers, where I will hear from someone, I finished all of my work, my story points are across the board. And yeah, but the sprint failed because that guy sitting over there didn't. And when somebody tells me, oh, I took on a new task because I had more time, I finished on my work early, but somebody on their team failed that that's where i think you can use exactly as you're saying john point back to sort of the team as a collective unit and and point to that team metric that team collection and say this is the thing that's most important for the team to focus on and you're right that can be a great way to sort of build that team teaminess like what would you call that 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 group of that high-performing team is a team that looks after each other
2: yeah and right as in my role over the years i've always had more than eight hours of work a day. And the members of my team, there was one moment, it was like 5.30 or 6 o'clock at night. And before this one individual left, all she did was walk by my desk and say, hey, is there anything you need help with? Right? And that that's really what I like to see in any of the teams is, and maybe there wasn't anything she could help with, but I knew that we were all in it together just by the mere fact that somebody asked, can I help you? So, and I think that's the environment that we need to create, not an environment where it's like, oh, John's slow again, and we're not going to make this print because of John, right? Okay, well, if you know that, then go and see if you can help
0: John. I like that you use yourself as the example there, John. Yeah. I, I think that one of one of the precepts of Agile, and, and if you're not doing this, you're probably not doing it successful, is to give the ownership of the success of the team back to the team. Um, with that, when you transition someone into Agile and, and you – get people to understand that. They don't readily understand right away. That means they might have to start thinking about success in terms of of finding bottlenecks and finding things that need to improve. And so even if you, so you tell them that, and that's great, but then that doesn't give them the appropriate tools to help them be successful at that, right? And, And that's one of the things that comes with the modern agile framework is a bunch of tools like Team Velocity like in being able to understand how to relate story points to getting things done and how to put those together. So uh, again, we've drifted maybe a little bit back towards the individual level and, and the level of the team of how they can succeed, but I still think it's valuable in that it's our job as leaders to help people appreciate that there are tools. And in a lot of ways, those, maybe we'll change the name so they don't know that team velocity, hey, that's a metric, but uh, because they've, they've decided to vilify the word. But it really is something that they need as a team okay so i'm gonna I'm gonna pull back. Uh, I think we're good on that. One of the thoughts I had about how to convince people that that metrics at the bigger level are important, and so I think yours is is really good. It definitely may be coming from a more positive place than mine. but one of the things that I think is a powerful convincer is it, it's not that hard to convince people that the powers that be the the high level high, higher managers or as you call them big managers Sean need to understand the health of a project without understanding the health of the project for all other projects they can't guide their organization towards its goal most people can accept that that that's an idea and then so you can tie that back to so what a metric does what a dashboard does is helps that big manager get an understanding of that health so they know if they have to worry or not if you can't provide that confidence, because that's what metrics do, right? They convey confidence. If you can't provide that confidence, they're gonna to have to dig in and stick their nose in a whole bunch of places so they can figure that out on their own. And what is really easy to get uh, hands-on team members to understand is you don't want a CEO sticking their nose in your business all the time because that just is a pain and it took us. And so if you can say, hey, the little time you spend on these metrics, Help them understand that everything's okay, and they'll just stay in their own lane. That's can be pretty powerful and help people understand that. Yes, even though I don't see the tangible value of this number, I see the tangible benefit to myself.
1: I like that. I, I think that's a. I, I like it. I think that's good, and it it does highlight uh, an honest reality. What winds up happening is uh, when the big managers, the the tops, when they go am I going to ship on time and nobody can answer the question or the question is, is answer, Oh yeah, 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 of course we are. You know, that person is now concerned and they start looking. And the problem with looking for problems is that you can always find them. I, I've never been on a software project that hasn't had some problem that if somebody just looked at too much could derail us entirely. Being able to, to answer that question with confidence, yes, we're going to ship on time or no, we're looking to be late because this is the information we have. Being able to predict that, to provide that predictability, I think is is critical. And yes, I think that can be an excellent motivator for, for individuals to sort of participate in the collection of, of data and metrics that can be used to show that.
0: Awesome. So uh, moving on a little bit, um, how do we convey metrics? I mean, I use the word dashboard, reports, graphs, podcasts, uh, what's your preferred method, John?
2: Having a lot of information, I like nice graphical representations of things as long as they're being honest, right? And I think it's around coming up with a set of, you can take any set of numbers um, or any statistic or any data point and you can twist it a little bit, right? So it does come back to that. Let's all agree on what they are and let's all agree on how they're going to be represented. Because even if I get a lot of information in a report, it's not hard to decipher if I've consistently received that same information and the information's in the same spot as it was last time, right? Because one week I might care about X and then the next week I care about Y. So I need to know where to find X and Y all the time. Sometimes it's a pie chart that makes sense, right? Sometimes it's um, a line that I can see the trending path of it. So it, it depends on the metric, but I don't like just, excel sheets filled with numbers i do like a graphical representation as to what i'm seeing based on a agreed upon convention as to how it's going to be displayed
0: well and i'm sure that there's studies that we could refer to that indicate that if you have a big chunk of data a visual representation allows more people to absorb it quickly and better than uh, but I, I don't actually know any of that so if any of our listeners out there uh, have good data on that it'd probably be interesting and you could uh Feed it back to us. That'd be cool. Sean, sort of same question.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's uh, it depends on the person consuming the data. Different people, of course, consume data differently, and different types of data need to be consumed differently. I, I was talking with some fairly high ups recently, and they just wanted for each of the projects that they were caring about. They just wanted a stoplight. That was it. Project name, red, green, or amber. That was it. They were happy um, because that was enough for them to start going and asking questions. I think that becomes the the point of a, a visual representation of some sort of metric or KPI. It's, it's where you have hit that point where you now have enough information to go ask the right questions or know that you don't need to ask them. When you think about a, a dashboard, like an information radiator is often how you'll hear it referred to in the agile practices, um, you will see uh, we need to have big screens on our wall with tons of data tracking all the things and we can see it. And when something goes wrong, in, you know, the group collective will see that and be able to fix it. And I think that that can be accurate, but different people will consume it differently. And making sure that the person who needs to consume the data gets it in a format and a, a mechanism that is useful for them is probably your best chance for success.
0: I'm not personally fond of investing in metrics that feed to a singular person. I would like, and and I understand sometimes your hands are are tied because there's some CEO that says, I need to see this. But there's always a ton of metrics you can look at. I want the metrics that are focused on to be metrics that have layers of data that are available for different people and are usable for different people. So in the example of the stoplight, I think that's beautiful because the person at a certain level, they just need to know that it's green or yellow or red. right? But I think that there's someone in the middle that needs more granular data. And so it's, it can be the same metric and just a different way of, of presenting it. But, but I'm really not a fan of the, let's do all this work together, this data for Joe. And Joe is the person who needs the data and no one else does. Like that, that, that is not a, a great use of time, I don't think.
1: No, agreed. And I think you actually hit a, a really good point there. So um, I'm thinking in terms of role right? Like this type of role requires this type of information to make decisions. So as an individual, I'm less thinking about that. I'm thinking more, what does a project manager need to see versus what does a scrum master need to see versus the product owner or the development leader? Um, So they will have different needs for data that at some point are indicating to them uh, some piece of information. And one of the things uh, I mentioned earlier is that the data that gets into that stoplight, uh, for the CEO, that that red, amber, green, that data that made that thing possible for us to be able to predict, that is an aggregation of everything right down to the bottom layer. So that isn't one set of data that collects that. That is an aggregation of data sets that led to, to different key performance indicators all the way along the board. So the stuff that was interesting to the, the test project manager for a team of 100 testers working in an area doing a thing as well as the development project manager, as well as the product owner, the, the marketing person, all of them are contributing data that is being aggregated together to get to that last point. And, and this is where I think we hit that weird uh, difference now in terminology between is a metric the thing that we're looking at, like the actual threshold, of the KPI itself, or is it the data that, that generated that thing? Because there's a lot of it to get to that sort of red, amber, green thing for the CEO.
0: Jonathan, and anything to add there?
2: Uh no, just that uh it's right, so we mentioned the stoplight. That should almost be enough for other than the guys on the ground performing the work, right? But in order to get to the point where the stoplight is enough, right, it has to be on Historically, I trust the stoplight report because anytime I've asked a question, Sean's been able to give me an answer, right? So when Sean says it's yellow, I agree with him. Or when he says it's green, I know that I'm good, right? So some of it comes with trust that's built up over and the ability to go and say, okay, it's yellow because of A, B, and C. And I have all that detailed information for you, trying to build that up so that people can consume the information quickly for what they need um, and move along or go and ask for details when something is alarming that they need to pay attention to. So,
0: I think though that a point that comes back from what you just said, John, is that they have to sort of think of it as a hierarchy of stoplights. So the CEO they get a, a singular stoplight for Project X, say a five million dollar project. So the PM cares about that. They care that that stoplight is is green, right? But as soon as that stoplight is yellow they need to look at the stoplights that they have. Maybe there's two or three from development. Maybe there's two from test. Maybe there's two or three from the BAs who are gathering the requirements. Maybe there's a couple from UAT or or production or whatever. So they need their own set of stoplights and they might not be stoplights. Maybe that's oversimplifying what they're looking at, but it's a hierarchy of metrics that sort of feed to that one stoplight. And when you get to the test lead, they have their own little set that, that helps them understand if there should be putting a yellow or a green up, up to the, the PM and so on and, and so yes, but there's there's many um, many different stoplights and I'm air quoting that you guys can't see it uh, because realistically stoplights become much less valuable that you go because you just suddenly need that data to, to figure out where to where to point your troubleshooting arm.
1: We heard the air quotes in your voice, it was cool. It's <laughs> the benefits of a good quality audio um but but you're exactly right and i think it, it's interesting you you made the logical conclusion from the ceo's perspective uh and certainly the higher up you are every individual stoplight all the way down to the bottom is is less important than the aggregation of all of them but none of it works if you don't have that if if you don't know i've got you know 100 people is my team size and i've got teams of 10 i've got 10 teams and i need to know uh, you know, for every two weeks going from now until the end of time, do, do I know that that team is on track or are they working well together? That stoplight for that team for their individual sprint uh, becomes the, one of the key parts that gets you to that place where the CEO can now see six months before release, yeah, we're in the right spot or no, uh, we're not. Because I can look at the last 10 sprints that these teams have done and, and I'm getting sort of more ambers than I am greens. You know, like it. It, it it is that aggregation, but where each individual stoplight is less important to the aggregate, they're the most important thing to actually collect because they're the only thing that's real.
0: Yeah, and and to give it some perspective, if you're the CEO that's going to pull the trigger on a six million dollar marketing campaign based on a release date, the health even and and that health trickles all the way up from bug count. That's important, right? Absolutely. Wow, this is uh, this has really gotten away from us. We've had such a good time that we're already uh, approaching our our end. So I'm going to have to look at the remaining questions here and, and pick one that's going to bring it all together for us. So we haven't talked about it, and I think uh, we need to talk about it at a fairly high level. Starting with you, Sean, tell us about what's what's your philosophy on tooling and gathering metrics.
1: The best metric is the one that I don't have to I don't have to think about. I just collect. For me, that's because um, I, I believe and it's probably just because of my own my own work view of the world. Uh, but I believe that humans will game the system when they have data. If you want to make that not a factor in your in your gathering and your metrics, you have to have metrics that just collect themselves. And it could be things like bug counts. It could be things like bug count by severity. It could whatever it happens to be the number of check-ins per build. It, it's these more interesting data points that you're collecting along the way now how you get the data to actually make those useful is having an efficient and fluid process for manual uh, intervention as well where that data is collected as just part of the normal day-to-day work so, so for me the, the best metrics collection process is the one that i don't have to do anything intentionally it just happens as part of my normal job
0: you are aware that you're uh... Pretty cynical, right uh, Sean?
1: Yes, I am <laughs> absolutely. but honestly, it, it truly does come from my very first test job in my very first test job when I found out that my manager was valuing the work that I did based on at least partially based on the number of defects that I found. I went from finding less bugs that were higher severity and actually far more valuable to the dev team to finding far more bugs that wound up being lower severity because that's how I got my raise. And, and I know that not everybody will be as, uh, as cynical as I am on that, but but that is the reality of my very first test job. And of course development came back to me and said, stop doing that. We'll talk to your manager. Um, but but that thing that, where that metric had been put in place and where I was told that I am being valued based on this thing, I targeted that thing. So, so maybe it is just me, I, I'm okay if it is. Uh, but I do want to make it possible for people to just collect the data that we will use for those big metrics dynamically.
0: Well, the one thing that I really like is that the the most common tools that we all use, such as Jira or ALM, are really you can tell that they put some heavy brain power into metrics collection and, gather, and data gathering. So that and then reporting and dashboards, right? So that that the tester had to be less uh, thinking about it, less knowledgeable about it, and and just sort of um, do their job so then they're not trying to game okay same question for you mr john
2: yeah so to, to me it's all around um, using the tools that the team's currently using the same, same idea less around gaming the system although i do 100 percent agree that that is a thing that if people determine that that's how they're going to get compensated or that's how they stay off somebody's radar that they'll do it um, if given the opportunity but My goal is all around, we want the testers to be testing. I don't want them filling out spreadsheets. and I don't want them going through extra hoops. I want them to be able to go and do their job. That's what they like to do. Using existing tools that they're already using, maybe with an extra tweak, right? Maybe there's another field that they need to fill out um, in that tool, but not having them jump all over, I think is the best way to do it. Um, And the easiest one to get them to create metrics for us, just as a matter of fact, of this is what my job is.
0: Yeah, and, and it's, it's really true. Um, I was just thinking that, that maybe the holy grail of testing, and if anyone out there has a brilliant idea, you can probably make a trillion dollars from it, is if you can figure out a really easy way to collect test coverage data around requirements and, and stuff that can be tracked nice and easily, automatically in a tool without having any manual intervention you can make yourself a trillion dollars you really can because way too much of test coverage has to be manual and therefore is less valuable sorry sean i cut you off you're gonna say something
1: no, well no i we could have a completely different uh podcast on just that topic of how to assess test coverage i have spent a ton of time doing a whole bunch of work on that recently um and it's a super interesting area and i think brain space to sort of think in, In terms of of metrics that we roll out with a team, if we uh, adopt an agile philosophy to our process as well as our development cycle and test cycles, we can use an agile methodology to help us generate better data. And and what I mean here is we have some sort of uh, concept of a sprint where we say this is our process right now, but we believe that we will get value from tracking this piece of information. How can we start tracking it? iteratively build through that, do retrospectives on it, figure out what's working, how it's easier to collect the data, and roll it out so that the entire team is engaged in the collection of that information. I, I have had great success in, in helping the team uh, understand the data by making them a part of the decision-making process. Again, it's a separate podcast on sort of how to roll out Agile in a whole bunch of places, but it's that idea that if the team is engaged and if they are starting to see the value of the things that they're doing over time, they are more interested in collecting them and, and less interested in gaming them.
0: I think uh, Sean, you told me that you were working on a on an article on metrics. That a whole team approach to metrics yeah. is an article that will get a lot a lot of hits.
1: Everybody has to be engaged in the, the collection of the information, and they have to understand why they're doing something. and And I I know we're running on time, but I can give you a really a simple example of this. There's one of the ways that we we calculate uh, on on one of our teams some of the, the core data about sort of coverage is through uh, part of the game telemetry and what's happening inside of it. When the development team sort of uh, passed down from on high the instruction to the developers, make sure that the telemetry is included in this way at this time in your development. It was done inconsistently uh, because developers looked at it as an ex- extra task, something that they had to do eventually. And the testers knew that it wasn't a feature, so they didn't test the data coming back that the telemetry information was useful. It wasn't until we took one of the teams aside and explained to them how that information was showing us that, hey, this feature has made it into the game. And now through exercising this feature, by testing the feature, we can see the information coming back. As soon as we explained that, the test teams were all over validating that the, the telemetry information coming back was accurate because it was showing how they were interacting. And the development team was all over putting it in as part of their initial development process, rather than the add-on to the end. And, and that type of thing where you explain it and you say, this is how we're gathering really critical information, made the teams engaged and want to change the way that they work, rather than was just telling them, do this thing. So yeah, that, that team approach has to be what you do, I think, to so make
0: it successful. Awesome. Well, okay. We are over time. I would like to thank our audience for sticking with us to the end. And, and thank you, Sean and Jonathan, so much for being part of our speakers. Metrics, uh, when I went into this topic, I was like, oh, it'll be a little bit interesting. It'll be okay. But you know what? Uh, I don't really lose tack of time in podcasts very much. And I was poked and said, hey, we're near the end. I'm like, what? And, and so that's really cool. So it turned out for me that this was a really interesting discussion. I hope out there for our listeners, the same is, is true and i'd like uh, all of you if you want to continue the conversation uh, reach back out to social you can find us at at pqa testing on twitter linkedin facebook or in the in the dialogues that that surround the podcast uh, wherever you're picking your podcast up from you can uh, find links to prior podcasts and chats in wherever you find your podcast please if you're enjoying these Put up some ratings and share them amongst your own network because uh, the more people that are listening to these, the better the conversation that we can have. Uh, But I think it's been great. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for your participation today. And uh, we'll see you next time.